Section 3 of The Rover, Volume 1, Number 13. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Rover, Volume 1, Number 13. Edited by Seba Smith and Lawrence Libris. Section 3. Beginning the World. It would be difficult to imagine a more unhappy animal than he who is encumbered with an imposing establishment while his supplies are uncertain and scanty. The truth of this I had occasion to experience some years ago when I first began the world. The little fortune which my father left me was all expended in obtaining a procuratorship and in furnishing, after the best models, a flat in Queen Street, where I placed two red-haired clerks upon a pair of three-legged stools of unusual elevation, and seated myself in a leather-encircled armchair with the absurd expectation of being called upon by clients. Clients! Not the shadow of one darkened my beautiful whitewashed walls. The glaring brass plate on the door, something about the size of a shovel, with its hospitable come-in, was misanthropically disregarded. It seemed as if litigation had ceased with the opening of my rooms, and I began to think seriously of Edward Irving's millennium. To me, a client was as the mammoth among quadrupeds, or dodo among birds, extinct. I had not even the satisfaction of possessing a petrified one, nor could I trace the remains of any among all my curiosities. To increase my embarrassments, I was on the eve of getting married. It is charitably said of the devil that he finds work for the idle, so I, being utterly unemployed, was tempted to fall in love with a young lady belonging to Berwick. My last ten guineas were expended in paying her a visit and in receiving her formidable yes. Next month is May, Arabella, I said. Her name was Arabella Farquhar, and it seemed formed with its number of R's to stifle the Berwickers. It is unlucky, you know, to marry in May, but I cannot wait a day longer than the first of June. The glorious first of June, said she, smiling, for, in addition to her other attractions, she had a playful humour. Would you not, as a West Country radical, prefer the ever-memorial days of July? Nay, in love I have no politics. That is, you are impolitic in love. I am desperately in love, which is all I know, returned I enforcing my affirmation with a kiss. The respect which I paid to the old superstition regarding May marriages was occasioned by the circumstances that I had no hopes of raising money for my purposes before the 1st of June. These hopes, as the reader will see, were built on a very questionable foundation. The only relation left me in the world was my maiden aunt, Mrs. Thompson, of Cockleshell Hall, near Musselburgh. I call her maiden, for I cannot consider her in any other light, although it is undeniable that she had once been married. 
she was a woman of untold wealth and inconceivable parsimony when young her fortune was but forming and her face was then even less attractive if i may judge from a portrait taken at twenty than when time had disguised it so she was left to live to the alarming age of forty-five without an offer at that period however her fortune by dint of parsimony having increased to a reverential amount a certain mr thompson compassionating her state of single blessedness threw himself at her feet and was to the infinite consternation of all her living relations accepted the marriage of any young lady of forty-five furnishes food for scandal but in this match there was nothing prominently absurd indiscreet or inappropriate mr thompson was an ancient widower of respectable character and well-to-do in the world he had been provost from time immemorial of the little borough in which he resided and was therefore happily distinguished from the innumerable tribe of thompsons by his title of honour like macbeth he had no children and considered himself to stand in need of a wife to warm his slippers when fallen into the sere and yellow leaf but death interfered with his self-indulgent perspectives scarcely was the honeymoon over with all its indescribable annoyances when one morning after breakfast as provost thompson was standing with his back to the fire he stopped abruptly in the midst of a laugh at one of the quaint jokes for which he was famous and sitting down in his chair gave a groan and expired apoplexy was the cause assigned for this appalling event my poor aunt was exemplary as a widow with her tears and her crape even for a longer period than the rules of society demand and her sympathizing relations were for several months eager in watching any demonstrations of connubial affection that might become visible under her weeds of woe their anxiety was absurd for no one with a notion of affinities could outrage his imagination so far as to consider her for a moment in the light of a mother she belonged naturally constitutionally and entirely to that highly respectable class of capitalists old maids it was but a presumptuous blunder of the provost to endeavour to remove her from the sphere where providence had placed her and though he had been bluebeard himself and lived half a century he could never have moulded her to the accommodating shape bearing and appearance of a wife as it was the little month of connubial bliss made no impression on her it merely changed her name not her nature and in doing so i believe it accomplished all that she wished for to be called mrs provost thompson instead of miss brown was the temptation that induced her to commit matrimony uninstructed by the frightful termination of her connection the infatuated creature continued to hug her treasures and even to add to their accumulation with tenfold voracity the property which the will of the provost left her only whetted her appetite for more and by the time she had reached her sixtieth and i my twenty-fifth year her fortune was calculated to exceed half a plum 
or in more figurative language fifty thousand pounds if there were any one toward whom she entertained a kindness it was my own ungrateful self i was in fact her factotum for from my fifteenth year being no penman herself she entrusted me with drawing out all her receipts for rental for this purpose i regularly spent a day or two with her every whitsunday and martinmas and in return for my attentions i regularly received from her mirabel dictu a five-pound note this was the only pecuniary enormity of which she was guilty during the year and to do her justice she gave it i believe out of an habitual regard for me while she would inwardly soothe her outraged parsimony by the reflection that no man of business would do what i did half so cheap on the faith of her gift many a sanguine young man would have anticipated the heirship of all her property but i confess i never was so preposterous in my expectations for i felt too distinctly that i was born with a wooden spoon in my mouth independently of this i knew she read the missionary magazine and spoke occasionally with an alarming interest of the new zealanders so that if she ever had the fortitude to make a will the cannibals of the south sea islands would in all probability be the favoured few her health besides was good her hold on the world tenacious so that even if i did entertain any hopes of succession the day was too distant to interest me much at all events no future prospect could relieve my present difficulties or put it in my power to consummate my own and arabella's bliss a bold stroke was necessary a bold stroke for a wife and the necessity suggested one insane as it may appear i absolutely resolved to ask from my aunt when i went in may to draw out her whitsunday receipts the loan believe me of a thousand pounds and upon the success of that request i relied when i proposed the first of june to my dear arabella as our day of marriage this resolution of attacking my aunt i did not come to without severe reflections i procured a copy of the eccentric biography and carefully studied the lives of all the misers therein contained so that i might inform myself as to their weak or assailable points but i found them all cased in triple steel no crevice in their iron mail through which a spear could be insinuated no opening through which their hearts could be touched they were not even like the alligator vulnerable in the belly neither puddings nor praise affected them the only way in which they could be attacked with any prospect of success was by a coup de main old elwes i discovered though he would not part with a penny to save his most miserable soul sometimes gave thousands in loan on trifling securities upon that hint i spake i saw the absurdity of attacking the penny-wise feelings of my aunt and resolved to rest my chance of success on her pounds foolish a small sum would i felt rouse all her customary power of resistance 
but the demand of a thousand pounds sterling was too appalling to be resisted by mortal miser the enormity would paralyze her energies and leave her helpless in my hands it would be an appeal for which her imagination had never in its most daring flights prepared and she would sink submissive under it overwhelmed by its boldness and grandeur not i confess that i anticipated an entire acquiescence in the extent of my demand but to ask a thousand i calculate would secure at least five hundred by aiming at the stars i would reach the clouds if she succeeded in reducing my request to five hundred or still better to four hundred and ninety-nine she would lose sight of everything else in self-congratulation at her adroitness in mitigating the calamity it was no part of my plan to go about the bush in the matter that would have alarmed her and put her on her guard my object was to attack her openly and unexpectedly for any other method would have argued a misgiving on my part and infused her with courage to resist accordingly i had no sooner reached cockleshell hall and gone through the usual congratulation then i prepared to open my attack my aunt speedily gave me no opportunity my dear nephew she said with her usual emphatic monosyllables it is so fortunate that whitsunday happens at this time and that you have come a day sooner than usual for do you know that i have got two ladies staying with me who are dying for a gallant indeed then i am fortunate in more ways than one for i was just remarking to myself as i came up the avenue which by the by i see you have greatly improved that it was as well that i required to visit you at this time as it saved me the trouble of writing to you by post for the loan of a thousand pounds of which i happen to stand at present in need i said this in as indifferent a matter-of-course manner as i could assume although i believe my voice did falter a little for i thought of poor arabella but the manner of speaking is not so important as the matter notwithstanding all that elocutionists may say a thousand pounds is no trifle pronounce it as you will it made my aunt gasp as if i had pitched a tub of water in her face or as if i had placed her in an elevated shower bath with a thousand holes in its drainer a thousand pounds you are surely demented john indeed aunt if it would not be rather encroaching on your goodness two thousand would be more convenient for me than one but a young man is the better of being stinted a little when beginning the world two thousand beginning the world john have you not begun yet now aunt that is too bad you cannot but know what it is to begin the world would you have me believe that you never were so foolish yourself as to marry marry are you going to marry i am going to follow your good example aunt in that particular me you should rather take warning from my misfortune nay it is unfeeling in you john to allude to the matter i know it was the subject upon which she loved especially to dilate 
when you knew the manner in which my poor dear husband was taken from me think john of only twenty-eight days married here she took out her handkerchief we had just got all the garavaging and expense of the draught days over and i was remarking that the veal pie might have been better haned and served langer as a decency for our breakfast table when the poor dear provost who was standing joking with his back to the chimney and the tails of his coat in his arms gied a sudden jerk into the elbow chair and before i could turn round was a corpse never married woman was tried like me here she fell into appropriate sobs which i did not dislike for women are said to be most accessible when they have the tears in their eye do not distress yourself my dear aunt i said about this sad affair you proved during your short wedlock i have reason to know all that a husband could wish and let it be a balsam to your grief that it is not embittered by self-reproach as to my own marriage i have only to pray john john you speak as if you had completed all your arrangements and had only to send for the minister what madness is this and who is your wife to be the unfortunate lady whom i have selected as my victim and who is so far lost to herself as to approve of my choice is irreproachable in character and descent unequalled in beauty and almost as poor as myself well well if you and she choose to make beggars of yourselves i leave you to your own delusions it is no concern of mine how my dear aunt do you mean to say that you will so far disoblige me as refuse to grant my small request small request the boys in a creed you imagine surely that i am wallowing in wealth far from it i know in these hard times you have come to many losses and must have enough ado to make the ends meet still i am presumptive enough to hope that you will make a struggle to oblige an old friend the son of your only brother william who was your own little billy when a child and whom the hungry sea devoured in his prime of manhood here were two hits one on the side of her persimony and the other on the side of her affections like all wealthy misers she was very anxious to be considered poor and rejoiced to be condoled with on her losses she beside entertained a deep regard for the memory of my father who was shipwrecked on his way from quebec whether he had gone to purchase timber he was her only brother and being six years younger than herself had secured the affection of her girlhood before her heart got hardened and polluted by care and avarice deeply as she seemed to mourn the loss of her poor dear provost that was but the mockery of woe compared to the untold tenderness with which she ever reverted to my poor father's fate the name of the one was a mere signal for her to display the widow's flag of distress the name of the other was connected with all her sweetest and holiest emotions 
for it renewed in the silver light of memory the young days of her life when she used to toss her little brother in her arms or roll with him in boisterous glee among the grassy knows john she said after a pause you must be conscious that i have ever taken a deep interest in your welfare for your own sake and still more for the sake of him my poor brother who sleeps at the bottom of the atlantic sea but i am shocked john really shocked at the extravagance of your demand and wonder any young man of discretion like you should be so absurd as to think of marriage before you have established yourself in the world see how i did in the matter i waited till oh aunt aunt interrupted i delighted at the turn matters were taking for if the woman who deliberates is lost so also is the woman who begins to argufy oh aunt aunt do not i beseech you balance my conduct with your own for though it were a thousand times more blameless it would never come up to your standard i am but a poor ever blundering ever resolving fool that can lay claim to no quality beyond good intention you on the other hand have led a life of unswerving virtue and are guiltless even of the slightest impropriety if that be your opinion it became you certainly to seek my counsel before you involved yourself in so important a matter as matrimony and indeed john to tell you the truth circumstances have led me within these two days to think of the very subject for there are at present as i informed you two ladies staying with me one of whom has so interested me by her excellent qualities that it has more than once crossed my mind that she would make a fortunate match for you if your circumstances permitted alas aunt all people see not with the same eyes and i at all events am irrevocably engaged in drink then as ye brood since you can do without my advice you can do without my money are you not getting rather unreasonable mrs thompson are you not getting excessively impertinent master john brown nay nay let us not quarrel about a trifle you surely would allow me some degree of suffrage in a matter so personally interesting as the choice of a wife i wish to meddle with no man's affairs but for the sake of him poor william your father i cannot but take an interest in your welfare and if you had made a reasonable match with a young lady of whom i could approve i will not promise but i might have helped you a little until your business were established with the understanding that i would receive a legal percentage for what i might advance then my dear aunt i feel assured you have but to see my choice to be pleased with her such beauty wit virtue pooh i doubt she is some low person or you would not insist on these things is she of a good family has she any money or the prospect of any that is what i wish to know her family is irreproachable for her father can trace his genealogy as far back as the days of george the third and none of them ever suffered under the hands of the hangman as to her wealth she is possessed i am happy to say of a great many properties 
she has a well-furnished memory an excellently cultivated understanding a superb imagination a brilliant wit and an unbounded store of affection not to mention the lustre of her personal affections her pearly teeth and diamond eyes it is too much your habit john to speak slightingly of serious matters these qualities i hold not the value of a pin's point unless they are accompanied by the three indispensable p's to the character of a good wife prudence piety and property and is your favourite upstairs possessed of these qualifications tell me aunt who is she the lady upstairs is a comparative stranger to me but i am mightily pleased by what i have seen of her your old acquaintance mrs smith of berwick brought her she is a miss farquhar and belongs herself i believe to that quarter although mrs smith tells me she has some prospects of finally settling in your own town of glasgow a glass of water if you please tush i am quite well aunt a mere momentary qualm and now i have to reproach you as well as myself for leaving the ladies so long to themselves by our idle chat on a subject which can be talked over again we must for very decency go upstairs please introduce me it is cruel to delay another moment as my aunt ushered me into the room with a formal explanation of mr brown my nephew from glasgow arabella who was sitting at a work-table with mrs smith suddenly started and a deep blush suffused her neck and forehead while bowing i contrived to place my finger on my mouth to indicate i wished no recognition mrs smith seemed to understand this intuitively for although it was through her i had originally become acquainted with arabella she spoke of us as entire strangers arabella herself looked uneasy and discomfited for with all her talents such was her natural candour that she could not support the slightest approach to dissimulation i myself acted my part but indifferently and after several blundering attempts at conversation speedily sought to compose my nerves by a solitary walk in the garden while chewing a green twig in a profound reverie i was attracted to a summer-house by a whisper and a wave of the hand it was arabella herself i have followed you here at some risk she said for i have been burning to tell you that i have no hand in this base rencounter it was that odious mrs smith who decoyed me hither and i knew not that mrs thompson was your aunt till this afternoon what must you have thought of me i am infinitely obliged to mrs smith nay do not provoke me for indeed i am ready to sink with shame and vexation at the vulgar and mean-spirited plot into which i have been led your aunt i see is a woman of illiberal notions and contracted habits and mrs smith with her natural want of all delicacy brought me hither under false pretences to secure her favour when i understood this i could have torn the vile busybody to pieces a small dose of prussic acid would perhaps be more advisable 
No trifling, John. I am serious. Go to your aunt immediately and tell her the circumstances under which we stand. I can bear the state of duplicity no longer. Dearest and ever noble-minded, to you as to an angel of light must my poor earth-bound propensities ever look for exaltation. Deeply as I pity my aunt's illiberalities, henceforth shall I revere her for descrying so speedily your worth. It were in my power at present to deceive her, by affecting to follow her counsel in paying my addresses to you. Nay, start not. I cannot do it for my own sake, and dare not do it for yours. If my own soul could condescend to such meanness, it were unworthy of worshipping thine. So saying, I sought my aunt with all haste, and told her explicitly that her favourite Miss Farquhar was no other than my betrothed. Whether charmed by my candour or by the reciprocity of our tastes, I know not, but my aunt behaved on this occasion in a manner worthy of the sister of my father. Her assistance not only exceeded my expectation, but exceeded my original demand. She even came so far as Glasgow to patronise with her personal presence our wedding. Nor had she ever reason to regret her generosity, for in her declining years Arabella administered to her infirmities like a daughter, and our first-born little boy, William, renewed once more her long-smothered affection, so that the latter days of her life were benignant and blessed as those of its commencement. While living, she would scarcely allow the little rascal out of her sight, and on her death she proved the extent of her love by leaving him all her immense property at my disposal till he came of age with the exception of only five thousand pounds, which went to the South Sea missions, and a handsome annuity of thirty shillings, which, with some trifling assistance of our own, went to the support of an old housekeeper who had got blind and deaf in her service. End of section 3